2: And Oladipo wants it again Approaching two minutes to play
3: Pacer fans, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace on Pacerstalk.net. I'm your host for today's show, Alex Golden, and joining me as always, the beloved Washington Wizard Stan, give it up for Michael J. Focci. Alright, I guess I might have to start introducing myself from now
1: on because I bleed this blue and gold and for the Pacers, I mean, it's not going too well. Uh, a lot a lot of emotion is coming out the last few, uh, few days. And I want to feel good again. And I don't know if that's going to happen until after the All-Star break, Alex. Do you have any answers to the problems we have
3: going on right now? Does anybody have any answers? I mean, at this point, it looks like nobody does. I don't think so. I, and I don't.
1: Think the guy to ask right now is nate mcmillan nate that's not a shot at you but i think that you're in the group of guys that doesn't know how to fix what's going on right now
3: yeah so fachi i went ahead and wrote down 13 things that came to my mind as we were prepping for this podcast of pacer problems and i probably left a few off if i go back and really dissect everything i said and that just kind of speaks to the pacers situation right now in this losing streak but let me just run through these real quick i don't want to take up too much time but number one defense two team rebounding three communication four getting to the foul line uh, five team chemistry six late game execution seven mental fatigue eight the pacers are not having fun anymore nine mcmillan's rotations 10 effort 11 over adjusting to vick's return 12 lack of rhythm and 13 spacing
1: all valid points. I mean, the, the problems are across the board. There is not just one thing to address. That's the hard part about this. It's not just the fact that, oh, Victor Oladipo's in there. No, it's across the board. And to take it one step further, the the areas that you mentioned, I was digging up some cold, hard stats on those. ba bum facts with Flatchy. Oh, yeah. But over the six-game losing streak, the Pacers have been out-rebounded by 50. Okay, 8.3 rebounds per game. Opponents have made 21 more threes than the Pacers, roughly three more per game while shooting 29 more threes. So kind of makes sense. If you can shoot more threes, you're going to be able to make more. Okay, that's not always how it works. But during this six-game losing streak, that's how it has. Free throws, like you're talking about. Opponents have gone on the line 36 more times than the Pacers over this six-game losing streak, making 37 more free throws than us. All right? Yeah. And then fourth quarter, because the fourth quarter is where we've seen a meltdown. The Pacers have lost all six fourth quarters during this six-game losing streak and have been outscored by 28. During that stretch, two of those losses have come by one point. Two of them have been by nine. Two of them by seven. So – Right now, I mean, you got to win the fourth quarter, but you also need to get to the line. Threes, there's so many problems going on right now. And to take it one step further, because I don't want to rant for too long, in terms of rebounding, the Pacers have been out-rebounded on the offensive side of things by 32 rebounds. 32 rebounds. During the six-game losing streak, we've been out-rebounded on the offensive side of things
3: by 32. And when you're losing games by one point, That's all the difference. Yeah. No, I mean, everything you said there is just, it's unbelievable. It's like, you're looking at those numbers and you're just like, really? Like, it's almost like mind-boggling. Like, I can't believe it. Like, some of the games that we've lost, I mean, we should have easily won those games. Like, Mm -hmm. last night against the Brooklyn Nets that we're recording on Tuesday night. So, last night against the Nets, I'm looking at six turnovers for the Pacers. That's it. That's it. That's it. And you lose that game the way you lost it. I mean, what is the problem? Well, I know Brooklyn got to the free throw line quite a bit more than the Pacers. I don't have the stats up with me. I'm sure you got them right there. But uh, 32 free throws to 11 attempts for the Pacers. So last 21 more times. Yes, 21. And and you know why that is? It's because nobody is getting to the foul line for this Pacers team outside of Demontis Sabonis. It's because we're a jump-shooting team. I mean, guys aren't getting fouled as much on jump
1: shots compared to when you're going to the rim, and Sabonis is the guy who's taking it to the rim, and he's therefore the guy going to the free-throw line the most for us. Problem is, he's only getting
3: oh-so-many attempts at the line. Yeah, I mean, Sabonis probably is one of the most fouled players in the NBA that doesn't get doesn't get the foul call. You, you got a guy like Oladipo who was really good at getting to the free-throw line the last two years, but... Obviously, with that injury, Fauci, he's gonna be a little bit timid and not gonna go to the basket like he used to because he's still trying to get used to playing with his, you know, re- reconstructed knee. That you know that that tendon that was restructured. So, you know, everything that he's doing, I'm not expecting it. But you got a guy, and I've I said this the last couple podcasts. So I'm sorry if I'm a broken record, but it just irritates me. Malcolm Brogdon is six foot five, six foot six, two hundred and thirty pounds. And every time he goes to the basket, he has no vertical. If he goes to the basket, his shot gets blocked. He doesn't get into the the teeth of the, the defense, doesn't get into the body of his on-ball defender, and, and just put those guys in the basket. We, we saw him aggressive on the wide-open dunk when he drove to the basket, but with a little bit of defensive pressure, he, he's just not playing like he needs to be playing. And T.J. Warren, he's not a guy that draws a lot of fouls. He just shoots the open floater. He doesn't get into the teeth of the defense and nobody on the bench is going to be really driving in there and getting fouls. So it's really just up to Sabonis bonus to, you know, finish through contact, hopefully get an and one every once in a while. Or, you know, if the defense fouls him after he's beaten them on the pick and roll, there's just, there's just nobody getting to the free throw line. It's ridiculous. No one at all. When you're talking about Brogdon
1: 13 free throw attempts over his last nine games. That's, you, you, can't, you can't can't be that. having that. No, that's more than half those games. He's not even getting the line at all, and, and some of those games just one time, uh, two free throw attempts in another game. I mean, come on, we need to be able to attack the rim, and when you're doing that, you're going to get some calls. We can't be asking for calls if all we're doing is shooting jump shots.
3: Yeah, well, and I want to talk a little bit about the Pacers' defensive problems. I think a lot of that goes with communication, because if you look at, I think Caitlin Cooper posted a photo of last night's go-ahead three by joe harris and how mm-hmm. the defense recovered so i believe spencer Dinwiddie he uh, had the ball and sabonis's man set a screen on him excuse me justin holiday is guarding joe harris and justin holiday is like oh shoot spencer Dinwiddie's is going to use this screen so he comes over and he's pointing at brogdon uh, to get over to Joe Harris, well, Brogdon's got his whole body turned around. He can't even see Justin Holiday at this point. Sabonis is watching DeAndre Jordan because that's his man to see if he's going to roll or see what he's going to do. And then you yeah, pretty much just leave Joe Harris completely wide open. He hits the go ahead three, and it's just breakdown after breakdown after breakdown, and there's no communication. I just don't know what to think right now, Fachi I just don't know. I'm lost.
1: It was evident that there was no communication on that play. You leave Joe Harris open, who is a great three-point shooter, nails nails it. And then, to take it one step further, Dinwiddie gets Brogdon alone on an island and buries the go-ahead shot that ends up being the game-winner right over him. And it was, it was rough to see. Just, I love Brogdon. Lately, he's has not looked anywhere near the guy that he did in the beginning of the year. You had a great tweet uh, a couple days ago talking about how just the run-and-gun offense that when T.J. McConnell comes in, I mean, you see McConnell just hustling left and right, pushing the ball. They're playing at a much faster pace that's resulting in baskets. And when Brogdon's been in, it's been a little bit of a slower time. I mean, he struggled from the field shooting. The the, the defensive switches right over there. It, it was tough. It was not his night at all.
3: It's not been his week. The only good game he's had during this losing streak is the 10 of 14 game against the Raptors where he had a complete meltdown in the last two minutes. I don't Uh, know what's going on with Brogdon. I mean, it might be Oladipo being reacclimated, but that's why I put this on here over adjusting to Vic's return. I'm sorry, but the Pacers should not be changing the way they're playing basketball just because Victor returns to the lineup. And it, you know, right now, what I would honestly do is basically give him the same amount of looks that Jeremy Lamb was getting. Victor's still trying to get himself reacclimated with this group. He should be adjusting to them more than they should all be adjusting to him. He is the star player and he can eventually get to that, but easing him back into it where he's, you know, third or fourth in shot attempts is exactly what the team needs to do. But instead, they're almost force feeding him, breaking up the rhythm of the offense. You got a guy like TJ Warren who was terrific last night, and you got to, you know, the, all the Pacers, the starters, except Brogdon, were in double digits last night by the third quarter. So, uh, yeah. it's Something's got to give here, Foch. It, it does, but just as you
1: mentioned, they are force feeding Victor Oladipo. We're seeing Oladipo pull up on threes with a ton of time left on the shot clock that is really just throwing off the whole offense. At all. I mean, his shots have been, I don't, I'm not going to say down at all, but he started out when he first came out with the 17 shots 14, 14, 11, 14. It's just, it's too many shots for a guy who's trying to get into the flow. I would have been fine if there was a game where he attempted six shots and then maybe it went up to eight and then maybe it was 10. It doesn't need to be 14 to, to 17 shots per night. And I think we're seeing just how rusty. This guy is and how much it's taking away from the flow of this team and it's not to blame him it's just like you said we should have had him get acclimated to us not the whole team get acclimated to one player
3: that's why i never liked the idea of him coming off the bench in the first place because the bench rotation was just something that we did not need to mess up but Focci, Um, Before we continue, let's take a quick break here. I want to talk about some rotation ideas. Uh, I put a tweet out about Ned McMillan and Jay Michael actually just uh, quote tweeted a tweet I posted last night talking about some interesting news about Miles Turner and the offseason. So we're going to have him come on later in the show and talk about that. But let's take a quick break. All right, everybody, joining us right now on the phone line is the one and only Jay Michael covers the Indiana Pacers for the Indy Star. So, Jay, what's going on, man?
2: Uh, other than the cold, Pacers are losing, and uh can't wait till we get to the end of the regular season so we can get on to the real good stuff.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. So last night, you know, Bleacher Report put out some stuff that was going on throughout the trade deadline, and I kind of just took a screenshot of their article And you went ahead and quote tweeted my tweet with that article uh, snippet and quote, you said there's another team not mentioned that really made a push for Turner, but couldn't pry him loose at the deadline. One of their players actively recruited, but as I reported last week, the possibility is stronger. Something happens this summer. So I'm not going to ask you who it was. Obviously, we don't need to know that, but I am curious your thoughts as to the Pacers possibly moving on from miles Turner this summer. Is that a good move or not?
2: Um, I mean, I, I think, look, I, I, look I, I'm a believer that nobody's untradeable with the mm-hmm. exception of very few people. Um, so if you're going to trade him, I mean, look, you can make a case for trade him, but obviously you're going to have to replace what you're going to lose with him. I mean, you can't, to me, re- trade him and get, uh, you know, another guard who's, you know, just a good player and maybe a draft pick or two. Uh, because, you know, the draft, especially this draft upcoming is not very spectacular at all, so I don't know how valuable picks are going to be. Everything that I gained uh, leading up to the trade deadline, the Pacers weren't interested in picks, and in, in part because of that reason. They wanted another body um, that could play right away, that could get them – out of the first round of the playoffs and so with those kind of you know demands that they had in order for them to even consider something seriously that kind of made a deal impossible especially when it came to Miles there was never you know and I say like for two months out you know i had um you know i was told that turner wasn't going to be traded um and as we got closer to the deadline it was it got more and more solid so but i think the consensus was that turner Uh, they would revisit the idea of potentially shaking up the roster in in that spot this summer. And the reason being, is the obvious reason, is that Sabonis and Turner are both actually fives. Mm -hmm. And they don't think it's viable, or no one thinks it's viable going forward, um, to have two starting quality fives. And, you know, their weaknesses right now is, is having a true four. And uh, they realize that that's not, um, that's not, that's not any surprise. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, Turner, you know, Turner wasn't close to going anywhere at the deadline. I never was, was got the sense, like I said, for months out leading all the way through that was going to happen. But it's it's very real that there's a possibility, a strong possibility that something's going to happen in regards to Turner or that position down there in the post uh, this summer, because they realize that's, that's an area that they have to fix if they're, you know, going to be able to take the next step. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the catch too, right? Sabonis is the better low-post player, um, the kind of bruiser that you need. Turner's the better rim protector and has the stretch potential that you need. And, it's, you know, too bad you can't get it all in one player. But, you know, it's rare that you're going to find all those qualities in one post player. But that's kind of the, the position that they're in. <laughs>
1: No, it's, it's very true, and it's a great point. We're going to have to wait and see just how the season unfolds. So far, they've they've had a positive rating on the court together. But what do you think that the vibe has been for Miles Turner? Because he's basically been the heat of – he's taken a lot of criticism this year. How do you think that it's affected his play this year?
2: I think it's affected him a lot. Um, you know, it's – Miles wears his emotions on his sleeve, so he doesn't hide it very well. So, you know, when when he's in a bad stretcher, he's playing some bad basketball um, – he knows it. He's not going to tell you that uh, he's playing great. He knows when things aren't going well for him or when he's, you know, uh, getting dominated by Joel Embiid, and he knows what the blowback's going to be. Um, I'm I'm surprised that he's been in the league now. I think this is year five, and, um, you know, he he paid so much attention to what people said in his social media feeds. Um, and, and there are other people around, Miles, who actually I, I've talked to who was who would who would go through and say, "Man, do you see the kind of things that people are saying about him?" And so I know that not only Miles sees it, but people around him who uh, are close to him see it and are bothered by it. So how could that not affect your performance on the court? Um, you know, look, if I were him, I was like, you know, I'd, I'd mention to him or, or somebody's like, just turn off your mentions. You don't have to ever see it. <laughs> I mean. You don't have to really feed into that or pay attention to that or just have somebody else manage your account. You don't have to see it at all, (laughs) whatever the case. Some guys do that. Um, But I think it does affect him. And um, he under – you know, I think the thing that really gets him especially – and, look, I I, I don't get that – you know, there's no issue to my knowledge that, you know, he's jealous of Sabonis or has issues with Sabonis or anything of that nature. But you have to be Miles Turner sitting back saying, man, I was supposed to be the guy that became the All-Star first. You know, I was supposed to be the guy who was, you know, um, being celebrated for, uh, um, you know, being the the dude who grew into his potential and, and 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 became this key player for the Pacers to be successful. And even though I think he does do key things for them to be successful, they don't bear themselves out in the box score. Um, most people don't see when he does do stuff well. And now that you have Sabonis starting with him, um, he's taking a back seat. Um, he's taking a back seat in the offense. He's not used in pick and rolls as much, so there's not as many pop opportunities for him to get as many shots. They have to really make a concerted effort to get him shots at times. Like, you know, that Knicks game, he was he had one shot in the first half, and when they got back in the game because they got Miles, he got four threes in that second half to get them back in that game that they, of course, ended up losing, which is a whole other story. But, I mean, it's that kind of, you know, so he sacrificed numbers, he sacrificed, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, in terms of what I guess mainstream NBA people think but I, make no mistake there are people guys who play on teams I was talking to somebody on the to last night pregame and he was like the dude he's worried one of their guards who I know pretty well and he was like yeah he's like they're worried about Turner because he's, he knows if it Turner's on the floor I can't you know I'm not I can't go down the middle of that paint and attack he said if Sabonis is going to be there I'm going to go off. I'm going to I'm going to go recklessly because he's not going to be able to do nothing with me. So I think players have a different perception. They think Turner is the kind of guy they got to watch out for when he's on the floor, and that they can manage Sabonis even though he's getting you good numbers. And I think people who don't, you know, people who aren't X and O junkies the way some of us are, don't realize how important Turner is when it comes to that, Um, and that you know they're going to look at Sabonis' numbers because they're so much far greater. You know, four double uh, triple doubles this season. You look at the double doubles, but you know, you know basketball is a little bit deeper than just uh, with the final numbers on the box score. I think you need both guys. Uh, I find myself defending Turner, by the way, more than than anything, just because he gets uh, he gets a lion's share to blame for everything that goes wrong with this team, and there's so many things that have gone wrong that are outside of Miles Turner's control.
3: Yeah, I agree about that. I mean, it's not Miles Turner's fault for a lot of the problems the Pacers have does he play a part in it sometimes possibly but I don't think he's the root of all the problems but I wanted to ask you this because we saw at the trade deadline you know a former all-star Andre Drummond basically gets salary dumped to the Cleveland Cavaliers so it's going to be a two part question part 1 is the value of a center in a trade in the trade market what is that because you know you got a guy like Turner who can you know is a modern day center in today's NBA you can shoot the three and block shots but you know our center is really that valuable in today's NBA. And number two, would it be smarter to trade Sabonis over Turner because Sabonis is so hot right now with making an all-star appearance, would his value get more back for the Pacers?
2: I, w- I would say the, the second part of that question, absolutely. Um, look, the thing is, from a PR perspective in this market, would you survive trading Sabonis and not Miles Turner? I mean, I guess you'd have to get a really good haul uh, in order to justify that and to do so. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, I do think teams take into account how this is going to go over with a fan base. And if you traded Sabonis instead of Turner, I think the fan base uh, overall would not be happy with that, um, even though that might be the more prudent move. But, you know, you know, a lot of people weren't happy when, you know, Paul George was trading for Oladipo and Sabonis, and that turned out fine. Right. So I, I wouldn't pay attention to popular opinion when it comes to what decisions I make and don't make as a franchise. You know, you make what, well, you rely on your own intellect and your IQ, and you know all the things that you know. If you're a front office guy, that's that's what you rely on. You don't rely, on, well, I want to make a bunch of fans happy. You want to make a bunch of fans happy. All you got to do is draft all the guys from. Uh, IU and Purdue on your team every year, that would make everyone <laughs> happy. That wouldn't necessarily be the that wouldn't necessarily be the best thing to do for your franchise. So, but no, I think look, I, I, I've thought about that about the whole thing of trading Sabonis because it's about what you can get back for whom on the market. If you can get more back for Sabonis um, than Turner, I, I don't, I think that's a viable that's a viable call to make, and I think it would catch a lot of people off guard um, because most folks expect Turner to be the guy who gets moved uh including including what I've gotten back, uh mm-hmm. that it would be Turner, but um, yeah, I think that's something that you should strongly consider um, the other thing uh to the first part of your question about sinners being. Devalued. Hey, look! If the Houston Rockets end up winning the NBA championship with nobody over six six playing, and yeah, that's really going to go. <laughs> Centers are really going to get devalued, right? Because you know this is a copy. This is a copycat league, and you know teams are going to start doing what other teams do to be successful. So, if something like that actually worked, which I don't think it will, but if it did, I think big men would even be more devalued than they've ever been. Um, and you know, because you look at a team like Milwaukee. Milwaukee's got size everywhere. Mm-hmm. and if Milwaukee didn't win the chip again and a team playing that small actually was somehow able to win, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Centers would be less valuable now than ever. I've never been a huge Andre Drummond fan. I've always felt like, you know, if I play fantasy basketball, you know, he's great. Uh, one of my best friends who's from Detroit um, who's diehard Pistons fan, he would always bombard my phone with messages about Andre num- Drummond's numbers over the years, and I told him, I said, you know those stats look great, and if I have a fantasy team, it's great. Doesn't really conducive to winning because he, to me, he compromises a lot of other things that he's supposed to do, all to get rebounds. So, um, but yeah, I think centers like Drummond are uh, are a thing of the past. I mean, they that that he's look Detroit. I had said two years ago they should have traded, they should have moved him a couple years ago because they'd have gotten so much more for him. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of trading. I'm a huge fan of trading early than late for obvious reasons. Because if you trade late, look what you get. What, what would you have gotten if you traded Andre Drummond two years ago? Completely, wow. di- completely different. A lot more. You'd, be, you'd, have been, you'd have gotten a lot more, and the team that got stuck with him would be screwed with that contract. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's no doubt about it when it comes to centers. That's how you got to look at it. And as a re- and, and as a result of that, by the way, guys, that's why I think over the long haul. Um, maybe Sabonis is the more popular of the two bigs with he and Turner right now. But I just think maybe if you put Turner in a situation where he's not kind of saddled with having to make all these sacrifices and he plays with a team that maximizes his strengths and doesn't really harp on what he's not good at, I think he can really be, you know, that's when people here will be saying like, wow, I didn't know he he was that good or could do that. I think he needs to be in that kind of environment. But, from everything I've gained, by the way, on Turner, he loves being here. He's yeah. not—he doesn't want to, to my knowledge, he hasn't said, "Hey, get me out of here." He likes Indiana, so he would like for it to work here. I just don't know if if that, that's going to be ultimately um, able to, to work out. But um, yeah, I think looking at Sabonis, moving Sabonis—if if the strikeout iron's hot, that wouldn't be a bad plan at all.
1: You know, Miles Turner has done a great job of keeping his frustrations to himself. And while the Pacers have made a lot of great offseason moves, I think it gets kind of lost in the shuffle, the early extension that they gave Sabonis. How much panic do you think would be going on right now if Sabonis was set to be a restricted free agent and could leave and you could not trade him? Do you think there would be more panic or do you think people would say, hey, Miles, wait your turn. Everything's going to be just fine. If Sabonis walks, you'll be the guy.
2: I think there'd be a heck of a lot more panic and, you know, it's a lot more stress on the organization, too, because you got to remember, like, this organization isn't getting all-stars popping up saying, hey, I want to sign here during season." So I think from the organizational perspective, they would do their best to keep him, just like they would have done. They were trying to do as much as they could to keep Bogdanovich. Um, so they didn't want to be in that position to have to go into him going into the free agent market and, you know, having to – face that situation and lose yet another guy the way they lost bogey so i think that's why it was important in him to get it done um and there was some still you know there was some risk too because you know you never knew how you know once you finally start sabonis you know is he gonna he's gonna be playing against better competition you know first string guys for longer stretches you know is, is, his, is his production going to still be the same is it going to be as good and you know he's been able to, to get a lot of things done um as a result so i think there would be more panic uh, and and I think a lot of teams like the Pacers, smaller market teams or teams that aren't marquee teams. When you're in a position where you can just sign a guy before he hits the market and you you like him, maybe you don't love him to the way you want to keep him the rest of his career, but you like him uh, enough that you want to keep him around for a while. Go ahead and get the deal done because you never know what's going to happen in free agency. And let's face it, his. You know his contract right now, uh, based on his production, is pretty good contract. Just like, even though Miles's contract has kind of went down, uh, his um production's gone down this season. He's still on a pretty good contract. So just because you guy got, got got a guy in a contract, you know, and it's a good contract, that means you can also move him because he's on a good contract.
3: <laughs> yeah, and and one of the things that we've talked about here is, you know, Sabonis I think is just a much more polished offensive player as to where Miles yep. is a much more polished defensive player. So they do, I mean, honestly, if you look at their skill sets, they should complement one another, but the problem is there's no true power forward in this in this group, and they both do play the five like you mentioned. So that's the biggest problem, and I think you're right. I think they will probably lean more towards dealing Miles over Sabonis, but with that being said, uh, moving forward with McMillan as the head coach, I think that the Pacers should almost take a page out of the Denver Nuggets book and kind of run their offense through Sabonis and run their team kind of like they do with Jokic as the focal point. Because right now, I mean, I mean, maybe it's just a prisoner of the moment type comment here, but I do think that we're not sure if Oladipo is ever going to get back to himself. And Sabonis has clearly been the best player on the team this year, specifically offensively. I would just maybe like to see them model what Denver did, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, Sabonis in the high post, uh, is is, a, is the creator. It's been really good. Yeah. Um, that's how he's gotten these that's how he's gotten these triple doubles. I mean, he's really he's been really good. And you know, if they if they if, if they go one on one, uh, try to defend him one on one like they did last night with DeAndre Jordan, um, you know, at, at times you know, he, was able to, he broke DeAndre Jordan in half whenever he wanted to. So, it's, you know, the, a lot of these centers, you know, especially some uh, today are kind of, um, you know, he's too physical for some of them and can get to his spots if he needs to get his own, if he needs to get a two. And he's really good at, you know, let's face it, you know, three-point shooting. You know, you really want to have some prolific three-point shooting playing through a guy like Sabonis that's going to draw the attention, you know, the weak side generally pulls in when he's on his short roll um because they're trying to stop him from getting to the basket and that opens up those those pass outs to the corners or for those short roll threes. So um you can get more prolific scoring from your wings as a result of Sabonis too. So it's not just a matter of him getting twos. I'm a big fan of creating threes through a guy like like Domas, so um, yeah, I mean, he's he's the only guy. Like you know, he's he's been he's been the only guy who's been really consistent, uh, and you know, he's also been relatively healthy. He had a little bit of a knee issue. I remember missed a couple games this season, but he's been consistent. You can rely on him every game. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea to run your offense through Sabonis at this point, uh, and hope that Oladipo comes along. I mean, I, I like Oladipo what he's been able to do defensively, but. Even in these last couple of games where he he came out of the box and looked like he was going to be okay, he's back to himself Where he's starting to get back to himself offensively. Uh, After those little spurts, kind of forgot that he was on the floor on the offensive end. So, um, yeah, and I I think running your offense or running your your system like that wouldn't be a bad idea. I guess my only question is if you do that, um, you know, does Aaron Holiday get more burn if you do that kind of thing? Because I think that's the kind of player that you would need on the floor with him uh, to help. You know, Holiday didn't play yet the the last game. Um, I think you need some. You need to space out the floor and be able to hit hit threes and spread the floor. And um, to me, you need more three point shooters out there. And I would have. Does that mean Aaron Holiday gets more burned out over T.J. McConnell? I think you can make an argument for that. By the way, um, does Jeremy Lamb? Does his minutes stay the same? Um, is, is what he's giving you on the plus side or what he does well. Uh, outbound, you know, kind of um, thrown off because of all the things he does on the minus side, like doesn't help you rebound a whole lot, doesn't box out his man a whole lot, gets beat off the dribble a lot, gets, you know, is poor closing out shooters a lot. So I think there's a lot of things for these guys to figure out. And, yeah, if, if to me, if you're going to go that route and you're going to build around Sabonis to run the offense the rest of the way, I think you, there's some other trickle-down effects that you got to consider,
0: too.
1: Yeah, there really is. And if there's one thing that you could highlight to kind of fix coming out of this six-game losing streak between maybe getting uh, getting Victor Oladipo acclimated, the rebounding struggles, lack of three-point shooting, or getting the free-throw line, what do you think is the number one thing that needs to be addressed coming out of the All-Star break?
2: Get a, Man, to me, the easiest thing is the rebounding. Like the the rebounding stuff has driven me insane. Um, I just hate bad IQ basketball, and it's look they're what thirty three and twenty three now at this point. So easily, just by a couple of guys being a little bit better, just for for one series or maybe two series, instead of thirty three and twenty three, I could tell you right now they'd be about thirty eight and eighteen. Like I that's the it. difference to me. That's yeah. that to me, that's think about that. That is that is huge. And rebounding isn't about isn't about skill. It's about anticipation, a little bit of IQ, hustle, not giving up on a play, playing through the twenty four second shot clock. Mm-hmm. And the the my, if if I I could go on for days of all the rebounds that you see where they have four people under the basket on a three point shot from a bad shooter. Like, why are four people below the foul line? Exactly. There's no reason for that. Why Why are, you know, um, You know, uh, as much as I love Justin Holiday for a lot of great things that he's done, and he's a really good individual defender, he'll lose his guy uh, from the wing going for rebounds. His anticipation of rebounds isn't good. Brogdon loses his guy off the ball when he cuts to the basket a lot for offensive rebounds. And these are things that, to me, are just so elementary that they're so easy to fix. You don't have to go out in the buyout market and acquire somebody to do that. You don't have to sacrifice any assets to do that. You just got to pay attention more. So I think that's the easiest fix to get better results. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the three-point shooting, um, you'd like to get up more threes. I mean, there's some of these games where they got up a lot of threes. I think it was Dallas- but they were seven for 34 um, and uh, it's uh, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of situations where, you know, the spacing has just been completely off uh, and has it, you know, open themselves up for, for uh, some better looks from three. Um, you know, there've been times where I've seen Tabonis and, and even turn on the floor together, trying to go high low and they have no spacing to even make the entry pass. Um, bad entry passes sometimes from the guards to, you know, to the post and, you know, you have opportunities with some, some quick touch passes back out to the corners to get threes. But the spacing is so off. All of those opportunities that look like they were going to present themselves are now gone. Um, I think they can fix some stuff with spacing uh, with a three-point shooting. and But the rebounding, like, man, that that's just – they could prevent their opponent from taking four or five extra shots a game, which is going to give their opponent an opportunity for, what, eight – eight to 12 points minimum so you give it up that many extra points by just simply look you're not going to get every rebound I get that sometimes it's going to be a bad bounce somebody's going to just you know out hustle you for the ball that's going to happen Mm -hmm. but it happens to them to me it seems almost every freaking possession and you know what game really stands out to me though the one that they lost in Miami when they had four shots, I think it was at the end of that game to win it, with Dragic hitting that big j- shot. Yep, lost
3: Justin
1: by one. Holiday,
2: yeah, Justin Holiday jumps, scrambles to get the ball from out of bounds. He falls out of bounds, I think, in the Miami's bench. And if you watch, he actually sits there for two seconds while the play is still unfolding, and they they, they miss another shot. Basically, they were defending four versus five because for whatever reason, I guess Holiday thought the play the game was going to be over, mm-hmm. and he didn't hustle back onto the floor. And that led the drag you get to Dragers to get the three. It's stuff like that. It's just completely mind-boggling stuff that yeah. just shouldn't happen. And and by some players like Holiday, who I think is is really kicked the coverage when it's come to his performance this year versus the kind of contract he got. He's he's played exceptionally well. So, it, but but when it comes to certain things like that, like it's just those extra little plays. It's just an absolute killer. So, for me, it's rebounding and the hustle stuff and. And quite frankly, I'm going to give you guys one other nugget. Coming out of the locker room on, um, I can't remember, I think we were in Toronto. It was a Toronto game. After they lost that game that they had no business losing, up by 11 with 3 minutes and 10 seconds left. Uh, When I went into the locker room, I expected it to be a place full of anger, maybe even see some broken things in there, and I heard too much laughter. Oh, Um, no. I heard too much, um, not, not, and I'm going to tell you, on one side of the locker room, it was not, it was tense. They weren't happy at all. On the other side of the locker room, there's just too much small talk, laughing about what's on social media, that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, like, there is no way in hell anybody would be laughing in there. I've been in other locker rooms with, you know, with Paul Pierce when his team lost a game like that, and he said, we had I remember him saying post game one time he said we had too much laughter in here when I came in he said you lose a game like that he dropped a bunch of expletives in between he's like aint nobody should be laughing there's nothing to laugh about like he was irate he was even ir- he was irate talking to me on record about it and that's the I, I think maybe maybe that's maybe what that's what it is maybe there's no 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 butt kicker in there maybe that's what they need to kind of get them to that next level. Cause I was angry cause I had to rewrite my story top to bottom, <laughs> so, I, but I think I was, I think I was angry than some of the players in there. look, I know they were disappointed, but I just felt like that, some, that there should have been a, a, a threat of, of something being broken in there from the, the how upset people were. And I just thought you, you know, somebody should have been a little bit more upset. And, uh, I think were just some people were just completely quiet and didn't say anything. And I just think other guys was probably using it as a pressure release to kind of be lighthearted about some things. But um, and and maybe that's the element that they're missing. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where nice guys finish last and with the Pacers kind of revamping their roster to not have a lot of veterans and going a little bit younger. I mean, I guess that's kind of what you would expect from an immature roster so to say and there are quite a few young players on this team so i'm not sure who you're referencing of who was laughing i'm i know you're not going to say that but it's uh one of those things that you don't like to hear those things and hopefully the pacers can figure this out but guys you can follow jay on twitter at this is jay michael and jay we always appreciate when you come on and talk with us man
2: no problem guys anytime
3: all right, everybody, we are back and we're going to talk a little bit about some rotation ideas and, you know, Fauci, a lot of people last night were very vocal about Miles Turner not getting in in that fourth quarter until like the last 10 seconds of the game and mm-hmm. maybe played like five seconds of that possession and was out for the rest of the game after that. So what are some rotation ideas you'd like to see? Well, yeah, as you mentioned, Miles Turner comes out two minutes left
1: in the third and we don't see him until 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It's far too late at that point. Uh... Turner and, and and Sabonis, I mean, I think those are two guys that you need them to both rebound. So, at times, Goga, I just don't think he's ready. So, no. I think you're going to have to pair them more together. And I just, I don't know, I like the pace when McConnell's on, on the court. So, I think you're just going to have to get a little tricky with McConnell and a couple different lineups. Because with Brogdon, they are playing slower. Yeah. Um, so... It's getting tricky right now. We've seen Vic with the second unit. We've seen him with the starters. But right now, Jeremy Lamb, I thought he was pretty decent with the second unit yesterday yeah. when you know they moved him. I-, I liked it. I mean, I think he had 12 points. I think it was a game that no one would really complain about.
3: Yeah. But
1: what did you really have in mind lineup-wise?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that I was thinking is maybe play Turner a little bit more and Sabonis a little bit less. Um, as far as stacking their minutes because Sabonis can, can, cannot continue to play 38 minutes a night and Miles only play 23-24 yeah. I think maybe you know when you bring Sabonis out don't sub him back in until the start of the second quarter and, and let Miles ride that entire first and third quarter out so he's at least getting 24 minutes and then maybe if he comes back in for the last you know three to four minutes of both the Second and fourth quarter, that gets him around 32, 34 minutes a game, and I think Sabonis will probably still have the same amount of minutes, so to speak, if he's playing 18 and 18 in both the first and second half. That's 36 and 34. I think that's a smart idea. Last night against the Nets, one of the things, you know, Turner actually has been probably the best and most reliable stretch shooter they've had playing that four position of course justin holiday has had success there and you know i agreed with keeping him out there in that toronto game because he was lights out but in other games like you know monday night versus the nets turner was hitting from three and if you can have turner out there spreading the floor similar to justin holiday and protecting the rim it, it makes sense to play him in those situations because you know having turner in there keeps opposing guards from getting to the basket and i think that's pivotal whereas sabonis is you know still trying to work on his defense he's nowhere close to the rim protector that miles is so i think that maybe just putting a little bit of more minutes with miles i'm not necessarily saying they have to be at the end of the fourth quarter because he's a game changer like that every single time but i'm saying getting him more minutes letting him get more in a rhythm he can run with that second unit a little bit i don't see a problem with that
1: no, I, I don't see a problem at all. I think there should be times where he is more of a focal point. You know, Jay Michaels talking about before how there has been a lot of less pick-and-pops for Turner. And, you know, he's only played above 30 minutes one of the last four games. I mean, there's times where he's just not playing the fourth quarter overall. I mean, that was pretty much the case against Toronto. He disappeared for, I think, the whole fourth quarter. Right. So, uh, I mean, you're talking about not even playing the fourth quarter lately. That's That can't be an option. I mean, this is a guy who was 5-for-10 from the field against Brooklyn. I mean, you feel like in a game where he led, we're never going to know the shots that don't take place because guys second-guess themselves. So it's just the little things like that where I feel like it's just more valuable to have him out there than it is to have him on the bench. He's obviously a guy who's coveted by a ton of teams for a ton of different reasons. So why don't we reap the benefits of that while we have him on the team? Let yeah. him be more of the focal point and have some bonus as you said. If you're talking about trimming five minutes again, three minutes, come on, let's do it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean and another thing I wanted to bring up is you mentioned, you know, getting TJ McConnell some more minutes to play that uh, that faster pace. Now we've seen him get a little gassed at the end of fourth quarters when he's had to play mm-hmm. an entire fourth quarter. So I'm not saying necessarily do that, but at some point if he's really helping this team leading the charge with his energy and things like that bring Malcolm back, and we've seen Malcolm play the two next to him, but I think Malcolm mm-hmm. is big enough to play the three sometimes. He could go out there and chase a Joe Harris. No, he's not shooting the you know the three-point percentage like a Justin Holiday or Doug McDermott, but I do think sometimes it'd be interesting to see McConnell out there with Victor Oladipo and with Brogdon just to change it up depending on how the paces are playing. If McDermott is hot, don't take McDermott out and, and let Brogdon and Oladipo ride with McDermott, but I would also like to see a little bit more Oladipo Sabonis pick and roll because one thing we do know is that Oladipo is still trying to develop chemistry with other guys him and Sabonis have been together since Sabonis came into the league those two guys are tight and they know exactly what one another want to do we've seen uh, a little sequence there towards the end of the fourth quarter where uh, Sabonis set a screen for Victor and they ran a nice pick and roll that landed uh, ended with us a bonus dunk and then there was another possession where victor got a nice little 18 footer and just cashed the mid-range jumper so i think those two running the pick and roll right now while brogdon is really struggling would be beneficial for the pacers i think it's going to get victor in more of a rhythm because that is what he does best is running the pick and roll and that pocket pass he has is probably the best pocket pass from any other guard on our team he has such he has really crafted that throughout his uh, rehab, so I'm not saying that he's ready to like just take over the usage rate as far as running the offense, but I do think, sparingly, it'd be nice to see Brogdon play a little bit off-ball and let Oladipo run that pick-and-roll with Sabonis.
1: I completely agree. Uh, T.J. Warren had a steal towards that. I'd say it was probably somewhere in the middle of the fourth quarter uh, where Victor Oladipo hits the bonus with just such a nice pass uh-huh. in stride that just got him an open basket. I mean, it was it was when the Pacers started to go on a run and increase that lead to so about like four or six. And there was just a time where I felt like everything was flowing and then it, it all just sort of stopped towards the end. And it's just about getting these guys more reps together. I mean, as you mentioned, Sabonis and Turner, pretty much the only guys that, that Oladipo really played with in the past. I mean, other than that, it's almost like you got traded again. To yeah. a new team, so it you got to expect you got to expect some rust. Just overall, not just on the shot, but in just chemistry, knowing where guys are going to be, making that risky pass that you just know a guy's gonna—he's thinking the same thing as you. That takes yeah. time,
3: and, and it's going to take time. And I'm okay with that. And I'm not worried, like overly concerned, right now about this Pacers team. I—it's frustrating to watch them lose. Spend all these, you know, nights. Wasting, uh, wasting a night where you could do something productive watching the Pacers lose is not fun. But at the end of the day, Fachi, I mean, I'm not too worried about it. And like Victor Oladipo said in his post-game interview, you know, don't overreact yet. Don't count us out yet. We'll figure this out. And even if they lose 10 games, I don't think that's going to happen. If they lose to Milwaukee, they come back from the All-Star break. They've got a game at New York. I think that's a very winnable game for the Pacers. You know, uh, a game where they really can have a revenge game, a Doug McDermott revenge game, a cold dish of revenge, right? The coldest, right? The coldest, so, right? So, anyway, I mean, I think that's pretty much all we have to say about the the Pacers' problems and the rotation ideas. But I do think we need to talk a little bit about Nate McMillan. I put a tweet out last night, basically said, "If Nate McMillan isn't the guy or the coach, who do you want to replace him?" So I've got thirteen names here. Um, but I, one of them's only count like as a half so I'm going to go through and read based on the most popular replies I put them in order so we got number one Becky Hammond from San Antonio two uh, Mark Jackson three Jerry Stackhouse four Dave Yeager five Mike Woodson six it was kind of a tie here it was uh Dan Tony and Vogel if they're both fired Jeff Van Gundy Tyron Lue we went a little college here: Tony Bennett with Virginia, Jay Wright with Villanova, and then uh, the last two were random suggestions that I don't understand. But Popeye Jones and Dan Burke. So, out of those twelve names, are are there any you know candidates that you think would do a better job than McMillan is right now? I don't
1: know with a better, but there's one guy I want to see get a chance really bad again, and that's
3: Mark Jackson.
1: I have what is always up with everybody loved everybody Mark, wanting Jack-
3: Mark Jackson. I love mark jackson okay, okay so what you told me off the air is everybody is just putting names down of people they love i, I You're think you falling so. in the suit
1: i know but this is also a guy who has had coaching experience not like jalen rose who we, we saw thrown out there like we can't just larry go with, hey i like this guy yeah i mean like at least larry bird took us to the finals But it's like, Mark Jackson, I think if he was given a little bit more time with Golden State, I think that he could have won at least one championship ring. I can't say he would have won as many as Steve Kerr, but Mark Jackson needs another shot. He's also a former Pacer, so that helps. But at the same point, I think that that's someone who's a, a, a real candidate. And Jeff Van Gundy, I like Jeff Van Gundy. I'm not saying that he's better for the job, but I at least respect him as a coach. So... Those are the two that popped out to me a little bit. What about yeah. you?
3: Well, honestly, the name that I like the best off this list is probably Dave Yeager. And I like what he did with Memphis. I like what he was doing with the Kings, but I also know that he can be kind of a, a problem uh, causer because we saw what happened with him in Memphis. They agreed to part way. Same thing with him in Sacramento. It was just like, he has a good year, but then they don't keep him. And, I just don't see the Pacers really ruffling feathers and going out and getting a guy that could be problematic. I think Becky Hammond is an interesting name, you know, would be the first female head coach in NBA history, I believe. So Mm that would be really historic. And I believe the Pacers already made history by having a female tryout for their NBA team uh, in the 80s. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think it would make sense. For the Pacers to look at her I think she's a great basketball mind she's done a good job with the Spurs and the summer league but not a big enough sample size to really know what she would bring compared to what McMillan's bringing so that's kind of where I'm like we don't know there's no track record of what she would be and then you know lastly I think Jerry uh Jerry Stackhouse would be an interesting name just because of the way he has developed Guys with the toronto 905 g league team i think you look at a guy like pascal siakam mentioned him on the last episode with kent sterling that's the exact type of player the pacers really need uh, if they're going to move on from a guy like miles turner or they're going to move on up from a guy like sabonis that's the power forward position they need to really solidify this roster and getting a guy that's been in the nba knows how to relate to players i just think it makes sense as far as if you're going to make a move yeah, make no
1: mistake about it, Jerry Stackhouse is a name that is getting a lot of buzz. And I think that he will be a head coach in the NBA one day. Um, I, I'm I'm interested by that. I just feel like the Pacers, they kind of like to play it a little bit more safe. I think a guy like McMillan, unfortunately, is the definition of safe. Uh, I think yeah. you're going to know that you're going to be a good regular season team. But will you ever get to a conference finals or above, like beyond? I don't know. I mean, the guy's track record doesn't say that you will. Uh, Becky Hammond, look, I, I believe that she's one of the bright minds in basketball. I want to see someone give her that opportunity first, just because for the Pacers right now, its it, its they're in a risky spot where they have a lot of talent on this roster. And this is a window to try and win something. And you have to pounce on it right now. Whoever the coach should be. Would not be able to have oh so much time to just learn on the job.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, you you made a great point there about Nick McMillan being the safe choice. I'm going to pull a little fachiism for you here and give you an analogy. So, what do you got? personally, I just think you know the Pacers hanging on to Nick McMillan if he gets swept or you know beaten in the first round of the playoffs is just kind of like that girl who who dates that guy that her parents like. You know what I mean? It's it's a guy that she gets along with that. You know, he's a respectful man. The parents love him. Reliable job. Right. But it's not the guy of her dreams. It's just a guy that she knows that she'll be, you know, have a good life with him. But it, could she have a better life with somebody else? She's never going to know because she's going to be stuck with this guy for the rest of her life because it's pleasing to her parents and it's, you know, it's safe. It's comfortable. It, it feels good, you know, when she could be looking at Romeo knocking on the door and instead she's stuck, you know. With this guy, so that's just kind of my analogy here, Flash. I don't know if you hate I, that I, or I love compl- it. But. No, no, I completely agree. Nate is the, the safe option. He's gonna have her home
1: by 10 p.m. Okay, and no later than that because that's what the parents said. Well, you know what? It's time to live a little bit, and and I want to get through this year, but I want there to be a real decision made at the end of the year because we know how far back Nate McMillan and Kevin Pritchard go. It's, yeah. You know, they're the, very close. It would be a tough decision to make. I think it would be one of the hardest decisions Pritchard had to make. If he had to fire him, um, I just feel like, yeah, man, I don't want to keep doing the first-round exits. Alex, we're seeing it time and time again.
3: When you need a big play in a big moment, I'm not agreeing with what's being drawn up. No, and I don't really think there's, and Kent brought this up, as he said, I said the biggest problem with this Pacers team, or the biggest weakness with this Pacers team is, and he said, mediocrity. There's, I mean, Oladipo has bailed McMillan out so much with hitting late-game shots, but it's the same offense over and over and over again. There's no creativity to it. It's very simplistic. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the Pacers have success with it, so it is what it is. But I think sometimes putting a little wrinkle in the things they're doing would be good. I know McMillan's a smart coach. They've had success. And coaching is not all X's and O's, but I do believe that he is not going anywhere. It would be a shocker to me if he is fired, if the Pacers even get swept in this round. I think they're going to give it at least until 2021. But a lot of it's going to come down to how Oladipo reacts to it because, we know Brogdon loves Simpson-McMillan, but Oladipo is the franchise guy, and if they don't get an extension done and the Pacers really struggle next year in 2021 free agency coming up, Oladipo could be you know, an, un- an unrestricted free agent. If he's not happy with the way this team is being coached and being ran, then that's when I think they could make a move. But I don't expect any move this year, no matter what comes in the playoffs. I just think conversations start to begin if they get swept or get beaten pretty badly in the playoffs. I think so, but I also started thinking about two of the, the
1: bigger shots that Oladipo's hit in recent memory, the 28-footer recently against Chicago as well as the game-winner against Boston where Nate let him play and Vic goes down, he hits the three-pointer. I don't even know if any of those plays were even drawn up by Nate. It seemed like Vic just took advantage of that the distance that uh, – he had against the Bulls in that 28-footer and, and let it fly. When then you look at what Nate drew up yesterday, and I get it. Brooklyn used a foul. There was a lot of confusion on that three-pointer that went up by yeah, yeah, I think guys did not know exactly what they were running. And when it ended, I think just about every Pacer fan said, what the
3: <laughs> what heck was that? that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they lost the timeout because of the challenge. So mm-hmm. they didn't have that timeout to reset something up. But as a coach, you got to be smart enough to know, hey, Brooklyn has a foul to give. I would have just tried to run the same play. I mean, you could have. I mean, I don't know why this, they didn't this... even do that. McMillan tries to call something out. Everybody's on the court, like, what's the play? What's the play call? Huh? Huh? And they're just kind of like, well, you got to inbound the ball now. And like, okay, and with two point one or three seconds left, there's no way for slow Brogdon to come from out of bounds and catch a. Dribble handoff from Sabonis and get a good look in that little of time. Like, he's way too slow. Not, I mean, he's, I mean, when Brogdon runs sometimes, it looks like he's stuck in the mud. So it, it would have been almost literally. better for Sabonis just to drive to the basket instead of handing the ball off. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's a loss. The Pacers shouldn't have been in that situation. But run the same play again. Run the same play. It, it is. But even when you're talking about before, when Sabonis just takes it in.
1: On DeAndre Jordan, it didn't look like there was really anything drawn up there. I mean, That's true. There was just no, nothing going on. Sabonis makes the decision for himself and just dribbles just right at, at DeAndre Jordan, makes puts a move on him, and lays it in. And I'm thinking like, whew, all right, we got out of that one. Like, what's next? And it, it's just the team did, has not looked prepared at the end of the game. I mean, we're also talking about, just to go quickly back to the, the loss of Toronto by one point, you don't call timeout while Odipo's getting mugged in the corner. I mean, what's going on with when you're going to use these timeouts or these last-shot decisions? It,
3: they're not. It's not looking pretty. Well, that's why I said late-game execution on one of my problems, it's it, not it's, just, it's it's real. It's, it's not just a McMillan problem. It's a player problem. You know, it players is. have to execute plays. I coached basketball for a little bit in my time. I stepped down this year from coaching because I had other things I was busy with. But it don't matter how many times I would draw up a play, we'd practice the play in practice, we'd go over it 30, 40 times, the guys would still not run it right. And I understand the frustrations, frustrations as a coach because guys have to execute the plays you ran. And I think he drew up a different play than he normally had with the Oladipo uh, getting the ball and hitting that shot mm-hmm. before getting fouled by Lavert. We've seen him constantly revert to the India play where we see T.J. Warren getting the ball in the corner, trying mm-hmm. to shoot a fadeaway jumper. It's just I don't really know what to expect. There's that out-of-bounds play, too, where it's like T.J. Warren's a little bit delayed, and then he comes in right around the paint, catches the ball, hits a little about 10-footer. I mean, you can watch the Pacers and know what they're going to do, and I think that's a problem. There's too, they're too predictable. And they've got to put some new little wrinkles into the offense. And hopefully, you know, McMillan has done a good job getting these guys to play hard. And honestly, like Kent Sterling said on Monday or Sunday, this roster is, it's good. It's really, it's pretty good. you got good players, but you don't have great players. And That's true. And with that being said, McMillan has done a great job with good players in trying to uh, exceed their expectations
1: oh trust me I have a co-worker uh he watches basketball so so more of a box score guy who checks it and he just goes hey, Nate McMillan he's got to be coach of the year you know what he's doing with this team he said it last year said it this year and I was like trust me he's not coach of the year he's a good coach but there is also there's room for improvement on this team and you got to be able to get out of the first round I think the all-star break is coming Literally at the perfect time yeah. because the Pacers need to switch some things up and they need that extra time to be able to get some rest and just come back rejuvenated. Is like some softer games on the schedule following the All Star break? We're gonna be just fine.
3: Yeah, if it was the perfect timing, it would have happened the same day as the trade deadline because the Pacers have really just struggled. I mean, the last two weeks and they've just been almost looking at that deadline <laughs> like it was the all-star break almost it's what it feels like anyway but anyway Foch, we got to get out of here it's been a lot of fun talking pacers basketball and friday you're gonna have a show right of course you know what Foch friday is coming at you right it, it's, it's a must listen to <laughs> absolutely and then I'll be back with Kent Sterling next next Monday for you guys. And then the following week, Ming and Faci are going to give out some mid season awards. So be tuned in for that. And if you have any award suggestions that you'd like us to come up with, like, you know, uh, most talented, off the basketball court, or best dresser, coolest shoes, anything like that, like anything you want to make up. Shoot us a message on Setting the Pace on Twitter or Instagram. Let us know a category you'd like us to uh, cover for this upcoming episode next week. But anyway, Faji, can't wait to listen to your episode on Friday. You can follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex NBA, and you, my man, are at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And until next time, we'll talk to you later, Pacer Nation. Peace out. Let's go Pacers.